Lord, may you add your blessing to the reading of the word and the message this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I have labeled this Jesus on the fringe, or perhaps, and remember, it's a deep dive with Jesus, Jesus on the fringe. Let's talk about it a verse at a time. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. I want to, I referenced this in my prayer a minute ago, but I want to say to you, Notice in this verse that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Now Luke is the writer, and you'll remember that Luke wrote the book of Acts, and you'll remember that in Acts chapter 2 we have the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, and suddenly you get a picture of Luke, about, because of what I'm about to say to you, or at least point out to you, that he was kind of fixed on this Holy Spirit deal for many. You ever met anybody like that? You ever met anybody that is just caught on the Holy Spirit? Luke seems to have been that way. I forgot to tell you my story. I know I've told it in this church before, but I've got to tell it. And it's one of those stories that's kind of edgy. If I get in trouble for it, I get in trouble for it. Pope is going to have audience. How many of you remember my Pope story? If you remember my Pope story, raise your hand. See, that's good. You're as forgetful as I am. Pope is going to hold audience. That means the Pope is going to show up. And the Pope is going to ride through town in the Pope-mobile. And there is this guy who can't wait to see the Pope. He just can't wait. So he goes to uh, the best clothing store in town, and he gets the finest suit that he can buy, a couple thousand bucks. He gets these fancy shoes. He gets his hair cut. He does all the stuff that you would do to get ready to see somebody of that import. And on the day that the Pope is supposed to go through town in the Pope-mobile, he is there 24 hours ahead of time at the rope line standing to meet the Pope. Sure enough, at the said time, the Pope is coming down the street, and he stood there in his beautiful suit. He stood there all decked out and ready to meet the Pope, and right next to him was this stinky, smelly, homeless guy who had the worst clothes in the world on. And right in front of him, the Pope stops. The Pope stops, and the Pope gets out. And the Pope is walking over towards him, and he says, Man, it's all going to pay off. And the Pope walks up to the homeless guy and leans in and gives him a kiss. Walks back and gets in the Pope Mobile, and the Pope Mobile keeps going. He can't believe it. He spent all this money and all this time getting ready, you know. He looks to the homeless guy and says, Come with me. They go back in an alley, and he says, I'll give you a 1000 bucks for everything you're wearing. We trade. They traded clothes. He runs down the rope line, forces his way up to the front, gets all the way up, and sure enough, here comes the Pope-mobile. And right on cue, the Pope-mobile stops right in front of him. The Pope gets out, walks right over to him, and leans in and says, I thought I told you to get out of here the first time. Told you it was kind of edgy. What's that got to do with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and everything that's going on here in Luke? Stay with me. When we get to the end of this message, you'll see. Luke mentions the Holy Spirit a lot of times. You'll remember in Luke 135, the Holy Spirit comes to Mary. I mean, Jesus comes to Mary and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. In the next chapter, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form, and a voice is heard, You're my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. 
And in the next chapter, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. This is, this is Luke, and Luke is fixed on the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Jesus. At his annunciation to his mother, at, at his baptism, at, as he is about to be tempted in the wilderness, and today, in this verse... This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is what Spirit-filled Jesus looks like. And it says he taught in their synagogues, and he was glorified by all. And he comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What that means is, is that Jesus was in church every week, just so you know. That was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Now, in a minute, I'm going to tell you what was written. But this happened in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. He, he went to synagogue. Now, what exactly was that like? And I'm about to tell you. They opened with a prayer. They would then recite from Deuteronomy what would come to be known as the Hebrew Confession of Faith. I'll read you the first part in just a brief bit of the second part. But they would, they would read this. Hear o, Lord, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God is one. You will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then they'd read, And you obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him. And after they read those passages of prayer, or rather of scripture, there would be another prayer. And then the selected scriptures for that day would be brought out, and there would be an attendant who would go to a cabinet, would take the scroll, because they didn't have one Bible or an iPad. They would go and take out the scroll for the selected scripture from the Old Testament, as we know it, or, or, or from the Psalms, and they would bring it out, and they would unroll it to the place, and they would give it to the person that was chosen to read. And after the reading was read, it would be, scrolled back up and the attendant would take it from the reader and they'd carry it back and place it in the cabinet. And then a sermon would take place either from the rabbi or someone in the congregation or perhaps someone visiting. Then they'd pray a benediction and everyone went home. On this day, Jesus has been asked to not only read the scripture but to preach. I want you to think about that for a minute. In his hometown. And this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke or rather Jesus, is quoting Isaiah 61. You just read with me, if you saw it on the screen, the 21st verse. Now there's a spoiler alert, or rather the verses leading up to the 21st verse. The spoiler alert I have for you is what Jesus is going to say in the 21st verse. Because what he's going to say there is this. This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight or in your hearing. And there are two things that I want you to pay attention to in what's happening right now. 
in one sense, the kid who grew up in the neighborhood has come back home and he's reading the word in church, in the synagogue. But on the other hand, because I just gave you the spoiler alert, Jesus is saying, this is all about me. And they're going to be okay with that until he really begins to unpack that. And he's going to unpack it next week when you're here. (laughs) But they're going to be okay with him saying, this is all about me, until he unpacks it. And when he unpacks it, you may have listened as I read the scripture this morning what they're going to choose to do. They're going to take him out to the edge of town and they're going to threaten to throw him off of a cliff. I just stopped to tell you, pay attention. On one hand, Jesus is the kid that grew up in town reading the scripture in the synagogue. And on another level, Jesus is something far greater than that. In fact, he's, he's the greatest. And it's going to be a bit difficult for some people to swallow. And so now you get to the 20th verse. Jesus rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And the, Bi- uh, the Bible says all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Now all the, all the synagogue etiquette has taken place. They have prayed. They have read. Actually, whether you caught it or not, the sermon's been preached. And all of the eyes, the scripture says, are fixed on Jesus. I didn't want to step up here where Eric's got me this morning, but I agreed because he's done so much for us in getting things ready. I don't particularly like having eyes fixed on me. I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. But if you have ever gone on vacation and been a visitor in another church, you have probably experienced all the eyes being fixed on you. Have you ever gone to a little congregation just wanting to be anonymous and everybody's looking at you? That drives me bananas. When this scripture says they were fixed on Jesus, I want to tell you what, that word fixed is first it's this it's a verb it's present tense it's active it's a participle it's a plural it's nominative it's masculine what that means is that every single eye in the place if there were 10 people there if there were 100 people there they are looking at Jesus intently a better word than fixed is staring and I want to I want you to know that they're staring not because they were impressed. There's something really wrong here. And they're really not sure in themselves yet if what he said is what he said. At the very least, they are intensely attentive to what Jesus has to say right now. At the worst, they are hostile right now. But they haven't decided yet which it is. And the next verse is going to decide that for them. And he began to say to them, Today that scripture has been fulfilled 
and your hearing. Now, I just took a little bit of time to talk to you about having your eyes fixed on Jesus and the synagogue eyes all being fixed on Jesus. I want to talk to you now for a minute about a word in this passage, and the word is fulfilled. Jesus says today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I tell you stuff about words. I've done a little bit of word search, and, and, and you may not listen but, but right now, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say to you, because this is really, really important. The word fulfilled in the book of Luke, as it is used right here in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, is only used in one other place this way. To be fulfilled means to satisfy to the fullest concerning the requirements or expectations of a contract or a promise understood to be completely and totally full. So when Jesus says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he is saying everything I just said to you about liberty to the, to the captives and the oppressed will be set free and all those things that I just said, to the uttermost, I am the fulfillment of that. Now, let me just tell you the thing I didn't tell you was what Jesus omitted. If you were, uh, were going to go and check Joel on something right now, this would be what you want to check me on. When he, when he read those verses, when Jesus stood up and took that scroll and he read from Isaiah 61, he was quoting Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Jesus left something out. Did you ever hear a preacher when he messes something up? Do you ever hear a preacher when he messes something up? Have you ever, have you ever heard, I mean, like, like, I don't know if you know this or not, but most preachers that I know will have the Lord's Prayer, if they're going to say it, taped down to the pulpit. And the reason is because they'll forget it. You say, what, the preacher forgets the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, the preacher forgets the Lord's Prayer. They can mess it up. I've done it many times. Well, lo and behold, Jesus left something out of Isaiah 61 when he read it in the synagogue. And I can assure you that it was written in that scroll. In Isaiah 61, I'll just throw it on screen for you. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus left the vengeance stuff out. Did you catch that? He leaves the judgment part out. But all of the things that relate to grace, they're there. They're fulfilled in him. They are absolute. The vengeance, the judgment stuff, that's going to come later. And in the mind of most Jews, listen to me, in the mind of most Jews, certainly in the mind of most of the people sitting in that synagogue that day, the Gentiles, most of whom had been those that oppressed them, were one day really going to get it from God. I mean, that, that line about the vengeance, that meant something to them. There's paybacks. You know, we, we don't get mad, we get even, and God's going to do it for us. So when Jesus omits that peace, they heard it. And when he omits that peace, he's also saying something else. That business about grace, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, letting people out of prison, 
uh, helping the, the, the lame to walk, all the things that be encompassed in that passage that he read, that's for everybody. No, it's not just for you sitting in the synagogue. No, it's not just for the good Jewish people. That's for everybody. And remember that Luke only uses the term fulfilled, meaning it's complete, meaning it's absolute, means it's as good as it can be. He only uses that term twice. So you have to ask the question, so where do do you use it the second time, Joel? If he uses it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where does he use it the second time? I'll tell you where it's at. It's on the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus, understand, after Jesus' ministry is over, after he has been judged, crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected, on the road to Emmaus, He's walking with two people who did not even know who he was. They didn't look at him enough to recognize who he was. He's walking with them, and they tell him, do you know what happened in Jerusalem? They took Jesus, and they crucified him. They killed him, and we don't know what we're going to do. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says to those, those on the road to Emmaus, I've, I've given you the wrong verse there, that's verse 21. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, here it is, must be fulfilled. So at the beginning and at the end of Jesus' ministry, he uses this word. And that's an exclamation point, church. That is Jesus saying the fulfillment of God's eternal purposes are best seen in the ministry that I begin and that I end with grace. And so here in this passage this morning, I want to remind you what Jesus said. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down. Unfortunately, I told you today you might need an intermission for the message, right? What I want you to pay attention to is is that Jesus has preached perhaps the shortest message ever in one sentence. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's go back and take that sermon Jesus read, Isaiah 61, a piece at a time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I've actually missed something here. uh, What's on the screen right now, uh, the very first thing you should see is is that he was anointed. I, I don't have that there, but look at the things that Jesus said. Anointed to do what? I'll proclaim good news to the poor. I'll proclaim liberty to the captive. I'll give sight to the blind. I'll, and, and just so you know, that also means health to the sick, legs to the lame, however you want to fill that in. I'll free the oppressed, and I'll proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was the year of Jubilee. Let's stop and talk about that for a minute. All these things Jesus is going to do, he's going to preach good news to the poor. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It meant the year of Jubilee every 50 years. You see, every seven years, 
they were required to do some certain things. But on the 50th year, all was set even. Property that was indentured to somebody went back to the original owner. Everything got set back the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, free the oppressed, and forgive all the wrongs that there could be and set everything back how it's supposed to be. And that brings me to ask the question of you and your reading, did Jesus ever do all of that in your reading of his ministry? And my answer is certainly. And the next week, when we get to that part of the message, you're going to find out a few things that he actually did because he's going to point them out. But for today, what's the bottom line that you're driving at, Joel? And I'm actually going to say this several ways today. The first way is this. What Jesus did should inform what we do. There's real meaning in the question, what would Jesus do? Remember when they used to ask that a few years ago? Because that meaning, the heart of God, should direct what we do. If the question is, what would Jesus do? The reason it's asked is so we can know what we should do. God's heart is found in Christ's life. You ever hear somebody say, do what I say but not what I do? If Jesus were here today with us, I'll tell you what he'd say. I'm confident of this. He would say, do what I do and not what you say. Do what I do and not what you say. Because we like to paint Jesus into an image that's comfortable for us. What did Jesus say he'd do? I'll proclaim good news to the poor. I'll give liberty to the captive. I'll give sight to the blind, health to the sick, and legs to the lame. I'll free the oppressed. And I will bring forgiveness in measure that you've never seen before. Jesus in his ministry went to the marginalized, the outcast, the leftovers, the down and out, the least of not just these, but the least of all. And unfortunately for those people that were sitting there listening to Jesus that day, that sounded threatening. And you'll find out next week for sure that they thought it was threatening. Have you noticed that change never comes well to anybody? We don't like change. Jesus went to the marginalized, the outcast, the leftovers, the down and outs, the least of not just these, but the least of all. That's what Jesus' life was like. And if you want to find the heart of God, you want to find out what God's will is for you, if you want to find out what God's will is for your ministry, go take a good look at what Jesus' life was like. And for most of us, that's a bit unstabilizing. That's a bit uncomfortable. So if you want to do what pleases God, do what Jesus did. Go to the people no one else will go to. Go to the displaced, the disoriented, the disdained, and the disenfranchised. Welcome the stranger. Embrace the difference. Celebrate the diversity. 
heal what's divided you for so long from them. And all of that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good? But here's the problem. Implementation. A man named Whitney Young was a civil rights leader. He was actually the head of the old Urban League. And he said this statement, which I'm going to have to unpack for you, because it applies, in my opinion, to so much of our life. He once said, and, and by the way, the wisdom that's found in what I'm about to read to you that he said, the wisdom, <laughs> the problem with the wisdom is that he died in 1971. Just keep that in mind. So somebody said this before 1971. And because I said civil rights leader in the Urban League, some of you are suddenly going to say, oh, it's all about race and this and that. No, it's about every piece of life. He said this, liberalism tends to grow with one's distance from the issue at hand. Liberalism tends to grow with one's distance from the issue at hand. In other words, what he was saying was, our words of support for a cause are far greater when the problem is in our neighbor's backyard and not our own. So I'm going to support something, and I'm going to tell you how it's supposed to be if it's not right here in my front yard. And we can sit and watch the news and we can see the problems in all the other people's neighborhoods and we can talk about how bad it is. But until it happens in our neighborhood, we don't tend to get off the couch, do we? And for all the people of Jesus' day in that synagogue, they were all for what he said because he said what they were saying. The difference was that when Jesus said it, he meant it. And there's where it got sticky. There's where it got difficult. And that's where it gets hard for us. When the weak are down, we ought to stand with the weak. When the oppressed are oppressed, we need to give them their freedom. When the poor are deafened to the good news because of their social status, we need to focus on their spiritual state and figure out what needs fixed to get them there. When people are held captive by any sin, we need to free them with the year of Jubilee, the forgiveness that only God can give. And the only way, church, that we'll ever be able to do that is if our relationship with Jesus Christ is right in the first place. You see, on this day when Jesus stood up and he read in the synagogue from Isaiah 61, and he excluded the judgment of God and the wrath of God from what he read. And when he said to them, this is fulfilled in your seeing, what he was saying to them is, is watch what I do, not what you say. Pay attention to what's about to happen. I'm going to make a difference. And if you want to know what the heart of God is, you're going to find it when you look at my life. And then he got to work. Church, that only happens. The slide you have on the screen right now is this. God's heart is found in Christ's life. And what I want to say to you is this. Please, please, please don't forget that Christ's life included his death.
generally speaking, if something's going to be resurrected, some things have to die. And Christ's heart is not only found in his life, but it's found in his death. And church, if we want to be about the ministry of Christ and we want to be about doing what God has called us to do, we want to live it, not just say it. Something's going to have to die. But I believe that when that dies, when, when that piece of us that keeps hanging on finally gives up the ghost, is when we'll be able to truly live for him the way he calls us to. Amen. Let's stand and sing.